There's a lot of drama going on in the plant-based meat and dairy alternatives world right now from the tanking stock prices and, and lots of uh, industry naysayers coming up with I told you so, so stories from the, the shocking removal of uh, founder Miyoko Shinner from Miyoko's and uh, the lawsuit and the countersuit. Um, some bad behavior by uh, by leaders at uh, at different food companies that have been making the news and pretty much in uh, in direct opposition to the values that we would hope people in the plant based movement would exhibit and share across the world. And to help me make sense of it is a plant based meat analog entrepreneur, Danny O'Malley, who is the founder and president of Before the Butcher and a veteran of this industry. And he joins me to talk about his own journey, what he's learned from the successes and the failures of the trailblazers who come before him, like, uh, you know, Tofurky and Impossible and beyond. And what and he's got a bunch of advice for entrepreneurs who want to get into the space and for those of us in the plant based movement in general, who are still trying to convince people through advocacy and education that eating more plants and fewer animals is a good idea. So it's a freewheeling conversation. Um, hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, Danny O'Malley, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Hey, thanks, Howard. I appreciate being here. Yeah. So your shirt says plant powered. That uh, that tells me something already. Tell me, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, <clears throat> interesting enough, I've uh, I've been a focal of my my life really has been uh, plant based uh, for the past uh, close to ten years now. Uh, and prior to that, it, it's not that I wasn't eating plant based; I was also eating animal based, and and <sighs> that transition was really really important to me. And it, it came kind of naturally. It had to do with uh, me working for. Uh, one of the leaders in in the plant-based uh, analog movement, which is Beyond Meat, and then working my way over after a few years to start my own company before the butcher, which is what I'm doing today. But this is really my lifestyle. This is what I do. This is how I live every single day. Uh, and I love to talk about it. Sweet, because um, I've talked to basically two types of people who are in the plant-based food industry. One type uh, tends to be someone who, who grew up in the industry, um, you know, maybe like worked for Hormel or Tyson, yeah. you know, chicken or something like that, and then saw like a business opportunity. And they're not necessarily a plant-based evangelist, but they're like, boy, the way we do protein in this country is insane. And I think there's a better way. And I have all these contacts and I understand how to produce, you know, protein at scale. And I understand distribution. And then the other is like, you know, like vegan activists who are like, we're not going to change hearts and minds until we change taste buds. So let's go and create. Do you do you have a sense of like, is, are you a sort of a hybrid of those? Like, how, how yeah. did you come to all yeah. this? Uh, I, I think about a quasi combination of, of both of them. Uh, my my um, my focus when I left, I, I worked for a large corporation in food service before I went to work for Beyond Meat uh, about nine years ago. And uh, I, I needed to get out of corporate world and, and I needed an opportunity to work for uh, a young startup. And it just kind of fell together at the time. I wasn't uh, vegan, uh, but I was a pretty healthy person and, and uh, looking at options to be healthier uh, and stay that way as, as we age, of course. And I was just so intrigued by what they were doing back then. Uh, and there was an opportunity in sales and, uh, and I took it. And unfortunately, they took me at the same time, too. And I started moving forward and started better understanding the challenges that we have in this world, not just health wise, obviously, but the health of our planet and realizing how integral uh, these type of companies, uh, you know, not just food manufacturers, but other companies uh, looking for ways to uh, more sustainably make their products or produce things that are better for this world and the health of this planet as we move forward. And so I was, I was really intrigued by that. And, um, you know, back then, nine years ago, the products that Beyond was making aren't anywhere near what are being made today. They're, they're obviously much, much, much better. 
And um, even then I thought, hey, this, this is there's something going on here. After a couple of years, I realized that it, this was it. You know, I, I was entrenched in it myself. Uh, I had I had become a vegan as, as well. And it wasn't because of Beyond Meat. It was because that was my belief and what I wanted to do for myself and for health reasons as well um, and for the health of the planet. And um, it wasn't much longer after I converted into becoming a vegan and eating plant-based that I, I realized uh, I, I've got all the tools myself to go out there and expand uh, this phenomenon, this 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 um, wave of plant-based w- that I saw was coming. And, and this is uh, five and a half years ago now, which uh, I, I guess at this point in time makes me one of the older people <laughs> time-wise in the plant-based movement. And, and I separate, Howie, I separate plant-based from vegan and vegetarian because uh, before this plant-based movement came, especially in plant-based meat analogs and dairy and, and, and now seafood and things like that, um, the focus for vegans and vegetarians were to, to eat a whole food space, not so much to eat products that were being uh, processed into, in a way that mimic animal-based proteins. Our mm-hmm. focus really is not, not just the vegans and vegetarians. We love them. We, we want them to enjoy our products. But really, the meat eaters, the, the, the ones out there that are saying, hey, I'm eating meat and um, we want to help uh, maybe not completely convert them, but get them to try these products and say, hey, look, maybe I'll eat these a couple times a week. Right. And, and so I, I guess that kind of makes me a little bit of a quasi combination of the two examples that you gave. Uh, but, you know, by be- business acumen, not not force me, but kind of push me that direction because I, I saw the opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, I mean, when I, so it was like nine years ago was when you first jumped on the, with with Beyond. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I I think about those early days, and I, I've had Paul Shapiro on the podcast, and he you know he wrote a book, Clean Meat, uh, sort of like the history, and like it's, it amazes me that the, you know there were like the bets people were making back then. First of all, that you yeah. could make something that would be palatable based on, you know, like these vats of you know, giant fermenters and, and all this like high tech equipment, but also that it would, you know, like a, a, a social bet that this is something that people would want. Um, it's, you know, like sort of hats off to those pioneers. I'm wondering like what, what you saw in those early days that was like, you know, worthy of worthy of sharing now in terms of the spirit and the energy and the strategy that went into saying, let's, you know, was, did it feel like a moonshot? Did it feel like, you know, this is obviously the wave of the future? Well, I'll tell you what's interesting. And I have this conversation often is it was a real battle. Um, my background in the food service or food distribution industry, I knew a lot of people. And, um, of course, when Beyond started, they, they always pushed toward getting these products, um, in the same areas that animal based proteins were. So if, if, uh, you know, meat was being sold, we wanted to be sold with the meat, right? Not, not with the vegan or vegetarian products, but with meat. Uh, so people could see that the products that were being made were meant to mimic animal-based proteins, but in a healthier, more sustainable way. And it was a, a tremendous battle. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm telling you, probably for the 100% of the time that I spent out there trying to sell the product, uh, 90% was education, trying to get people to understand what we were doing, it, why we were doing it, and how it was going to change things moving forward. Um, and it was banging my head against the wall and going at it over and over and over again. And, and I think, uh, for those who are passionate about it, the, the answer of no is a maybe, (laughs) strangely enough. And when we, when we used to get an answer was, oh, this is not bad. I, not bad was fantastic back then. It was like, wow, not bad. Really? Not bad to me. It's good. Right. <laughs> Nowadays, I don't like not bad, but back then, not bad was the best two words I ever heard. And I knew I had an opportunity to, to grow going forward. And the more and more I heard that not bad, I knew that there was 
a, a lot of opportunity out there because I wasn't hearing it from people that were already intrigued by what we were doing and why we were doing it. I was hearing that from people that put up a, a block and a wall right away and said, I'm not interested uh, be, because I know you, you can come in and show it to me. And when they said not bad and they're hardcore meat eaters, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I can break this wall down. And I think that's really where uh, many of us thought that the opportunity was much larger when that wall started breaking down with actual meat eaters out there, not the vegans and vegetarians that we knew would have interest in what we were doing. It was the meat eaters. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause every, you know, every year I have a couple of, uh, of barbecues in my backyard and I don't, and I, I invite my, uh, my ultimate Frisbee team and I don't say anything. Uh, I just bring out, you know, I don't bring out the bags. I just bring out the burger, frozen burgers. And we put them on the grill and I feel like, you know, like I'm doing my part yeah. um, to like, you know, then, like uh, you know, deliver the punchline later. Like, by the way, that was not a hamburger. That was not beef. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I, I have this prop that I can use so I don't actually have to become annoying. Um, I'm imagining like, you know, a hardcore vegan going out and doing your job in those days and selling might be at a disadvantage because they're going to be selling ethics. They're going to be selling mm -hmm. responsibility. Like what, what would I say? Not bad is okay. So this tastes, I, you know, I'll grant you that, but what, what do, you know, supermarket executives or, or people at, you know, McDonald's or Burger King, what, what are they thinking about in terms of, of introducing a product into their shelves because I know how you know how competitive it is, how what the tight margins are in the food industry. Like, what did they want to know? Like, and what could you even tell them about demand that would get them to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna give you um, you know six six linear inches of shelf space and see how it goes. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'll revert back just a little bit to one comment that you made about uh, vegans back then trying to sell this type of product. Uh, a hardcore vegan wouldn't have. Uh, that was part of our battle was getting the vegans to realize that, hey, we were doing something good for this planet. And, and the whole premise behind trying to get uh, animal based protein eaters uh, or meat eaters to eat these products was to reduce the impact on this earth, even if they did it once a week or once a month or 10 times a year or whatever it was. So uh, part of our battle back then was just trying to convince vegans that we were doing the right thing because they were upset with what we were doing and, and, and starting to partner with meat companies and so on and so forth. Oh, but, okay. Uh, you mean getting, they, they were, the, the vegans were upset at the, like, oh, this is a sellout. You're talking to Tyson. Yeah. You're talking to... It wasn't that you're producing a, a plant-based product. It was who, 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 well, who, who that you we, were in bed with. For, right. That and the fact that we were making something for meat eaters because a lot of vegans, hardcore vegans would say, hey, look, uh, one of the reasons I got away from eating is I, you know, animal-based proteins is I didn't like the texture. I didn't like the bite, the chew, the smell, the taste. And that's what you're doing. And mm -hmm. uh, we would say, well, that's fine. Uh, it's all good. You're doing great things for yourself and for the planet and for the animals. And we want to do our part too. Our part is just a little bit different than yours. So, gotcha. but get, get, getting back to, you know, answering your question about, you know, the McDonald's or the Burger Kings and so on and so forth. Uh, they don't want to lose a dollar. Uh, it, it's, it's really that simple in my mind. If, uh, you know, if four people want to go out to eat and one of them's plant-based, and three of them say, hey, let's go to Burger King. And there's a restaurant next door that serves a plant-based burger. The, the fourth person is probably going to influence that entire group to go next door. Mm. And so you know, all the way up, whether you're at mom and pop on the, on the corner uh, or a little food truck over here or a uh, large international chain like McDonald's or, or Burger King or, or Pizza Hut or whoever else, um, they everyone everybody wants a piece of the pie and they see how big that pie is right and so if again if you have a small group of people you don't want to lose any of them so if it's as simple as saying hey we can put one item on our menu and keep that item and perhaps have a little bit less sales and have to accommodate that maybe we've brought in three additional people that would have gone somewhere else 
Gotcha. So that's that sounds very rational, and it sounds very six years ago, right? Yeah. Like I don't know if you've been following the you know the Cracker Barrel thing where they they yeah. added uh, they added some 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 vegan option, and it caused a you know it's like this whole part of this whole giant culture war where you yeah. know anything plant based is like some you know like Alex Jones plot to turn the frogs gay. <laughs> Right. Like, so are, are people worried now that if you do see that anything plant based is now signaling, you know, wokeness and is going to turn off a whole other segment? Well, uh, look, interesting enough, uh, just like when you go into a grocery store, there's a there's a, a place you want to be to begin the growth of your business. And, and then you want to capture the entire grocery store. So generally, you want to be on the perimeter of the grocery store because that's where the biggest turns are. That's where people float around. And uh, that the perimeter is the most important part, the most expensive real estate in a grocery store. Same thing with our country. The perimeters of our country is the most expensive real estate and also where you want to be when you start some kind of trend or some kind of movement. And that's what we see from plant-based as we move toward the interior of this country, which is where most of the cracker barrels are, you start battling a little bit with, with the heart of America who uh, has may have a different opinion. And I think that's what we saw there. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, and uh, look, I, I, that'll change over time. It just naturally will. We will always have naysayers, but you have that in any industry. This isn't exclusive exclusive to plant-based or plant-based analogs. We're always going to be battling with somebody else that doesn't like us taking their business or getting into their business, whatever it may be. And I think that's what we saw there. It's, it, I, I found it very interesting, uh, especially with the nature of the industry today and some of the challenges that we're having. Hmm. Wow, that's a, that's a really fun analogy to think about you know, the perimeter. So, you know, you're basically talking the east and west coasts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of that will skirt around the edges a little bit. And uh, you get, you know, certain areas within the country that are, are more inclined and they gen generally tend to be higher populated metropolitan areas, you know, maybe Chicago area or the Denver area and areas like that where you can say, hey, there are other areas that, that do well with uh, plant-based alternatives uh, in addition to, you know, California all the way up the coast to the Northwest mm -hmm. and then on the East Coast, especially up in uh, the New York area and a little bit down to Washington, D.C., and even trickling down to Florida as well. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so one, one of the things that uh, your press sheet promised you could speak about is the sustainability question of plant-based versus animal-based. And there's been, you know, the PR people have been doing a, a very um, intense job of seeding doubt about whether plant-based alternatives are actually any better and, you know, showing the, the list of ingredients versus, you know, beef, suggesting that it's not natural that somehow the, you know, playing with the numbers, showing that it actually causes more greenhouse gases or whatever, like, where, how, can you lay out the landscape of the, of the debate and what data you see that suggests that plant-based meat alternatives can be uh, environmentally better? Well, I, I, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a report that actually shows that uh, producing a plant-based burger uh, creates more greenhouse gases than an animal-based protein, uh, you know, burger. I, I think it's always been fairly clear from the beginning in most meat companies uh, that actually produce burgers and meat products would agree with that, uh, at least uh, to some extent, because most of them are now deeply involved in making plant-based products or own a, uh, a plant-based uh, company as well. So if you look at most of the major meat companies in the U.S. and various different parts internationally, you'll see that those companies are already on the bandwagon. Where the battle is mm. coming from are really the cattlemen's association, the, the ones that are raising the cattle. That's where it's coming from. And you can go out and, and you can drive different, uh, uh, anal uh, you know, analyze different things as you go along. But at the end of the day, um, I, I'm not sure many people would really question whether or not uh, it's better for the environment 
to, to make and then therefore consume a plant-based burger than it is to produce an animal-based protein burger from beef. I, I don't think there really is a lot of question about that. There, there's always the naysayers. At the end of the day, it's, it, it's, a, it's a better thing for this planet. Now, if you wanna get into the details about whether it's healthier for you, uh, we can just look at the, the cholesterol count and how it affects our heart and, and uh, how it affects us overall as human beings. I'm not saying that every plant-based burger out there or any every plant-based meat analog is the healthiest thing for you. That's for you to determine. I think you need to look at labels. And I think uh, the people that generally eat these type of products are quite educated. They take their time. They flip the package over. They look at the label. They make an educated decision on whether they want to eat it and how often. The one thing I always tell people, Howie, is this. You have to have a varied diet. If you sat down and ate, uh, you know, three or four plant-based burgers every single day, you'd have some health issues, right? <laughs> and and it's the same thing about animal-based protein or any product that you ate in that way. Our bodies are 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 meant to have a varied diet, and being able to to consume in such a way. Uh, that you're finding the right thing for your body chemistry is really important. And I say your body chemistry because all of us react differently to different products. Some people are allergic to certain products, and they may find that in a plant-based uh, burger or plant-based analog, and, and you have to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So let's talk specifically about, um, you know, um, before the before the butcher, right? Is the... That's it, yeah. So what, so what are the inputs? If, you, if you're calculating like, you know, carbon footprint or energy load or anything like that, what are, what are the, inpr the, the, the uh, inputs into, into like, you know, I don't know, your, your chicken nuggets or what, you know, what, pick a product. How, like how, can, we, can we just look at the difference between that and, you know, the, the original meat-based version? Well, we, we haven't done a full analysis of our products specifically. Uh, but if we look back at, uh, let's just say Beyond Meat, and they've done their analysis directly of their product with the University of Michigan, and, and there's a breakdown of that that specifically lends toward the differences between uh, animal-based proteins and plant-based proteins and how significant it, it can be uh, between those two. Now, keep in mind that this was done by the University of Michigan, so it wasn't, uh, you know, Beyond Meat going out and, and uh, doing this themselves. They literally had a university doing it. I don't have the exact numbers, but I believe it was somewhere close to 90 percent uh, mm. the difference in, in water usage between an animal based protein made from beef. And there is a difference there, too. Uh, keep in mind, there's a difference between uh, chicken and beef and pork and usage of uh, uh, resources um, it, it, when those products are being uh, gr grown or groomed to, to be killed and, and slaughtered for uh meat products or for uh, products that we eat. So being uh, very specific to that, uh, you would see a tremendous difference. The biggest difference is in beef compared to uh, plant-based proteins. Gotcha. Um, so the other, the other um, big thing I think about um, what you're doing now is you're really aiming for uh, price parity. Right. Like the, I think the first, mm -hmm. you know, the, the first hamburgers were, you know, $300 each and they've been slowly coming down. But, you know, where, where they uh, where the two lines of the graph meet seems to be kind of a, a sweet spot. Um, yeah. Talk about that. Like, what are the challenges? And like, you know, it seems to me like it, it should be cheaper to make this because it has, you know, so much fewer inputs. But like there, there mm -hmm. are structural things in place, I guess. That means that sort of a healthy plant-based product is going to be more expensive. Well, uh, first of all, we're not subsidized by the government, and and most uh, animal-based proteins are subsidized by the government, and makes a difference uh, from the farmers all the way up, in order to keep the prices down and regulate the pricing. It's different for us from the very beginning, uh, but secondarily. Uh, there are inputs and costs involved uh, that, you know, people think that we just take a soybean and make it into a burger. I, I wish it was that simple. 
it, it's not there 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 are some complexities behind it so uh, it is a little bit more challenging to to make these products than uh, just taking uh, a slab of beef and breaking it down and grinding it and making it into uh, a burger so uh, with that we have to deal with with cost inputs there but uh, on the on the same side or on a flip side of all of that is we are inching our way, way toward that price parity now price parity with what i i mean at, at this point in time the burgers didn't start at 300 maybe uh, cultured meat burgers will start at 300 dollars, but around three dollars burger was right and you're talking when, when you talk about how much that is per pound you're talking about 12 bucks a pound right which for most people back uh six or seven years when beyond uh, six or seven years ago when beyond released their burger uh that was what it costs for maybe filet mignon, right? <laughs> really high right. end steak. Um, today, you can find uh, the burger still at that price or less expensive on the market. We have a product our, ourselves that we released about a year and a half ago, um, and it's a, a secondary um, brand that we call Mainstream. And the whole purpose was to make it more affordable for the mainstream. We released that product into the market uh, at a 1099 retail value for eight burgers. That's a lot less expensive than anything that was on the market and still less expensive than anything that's on the market today and really very comparable for what you'd find uh, for ground beef. So if you go into a supermarket and you go into the frozen foods department, you may see our uh, eight pack of uh, quarter pound burgers. It's uh, two pounds for 1099 something's less than that i've seen it uh, even down to 899 or 999 um and you may say uh, ground beef right next to it at the same price that's the ultimate goal here howie is that when a consumer goes into the market they have a choice and the choice is not based on the economics of what they want to purchase but on what they'd really like to buy so so if you see uh, beef burgers here for this price and plant-based burgers over here for that price, it's the same price, then it, the consumer can make the choice that they want to make, not what the economy is forcing them to make. Gotcha. So in, ter in terms of pricing, you know, you have your costs and then profits. Um, a lot of the early meat-based companies, you know, were um, the investors included people like, you know, Paul Allen or Bill Gates um, the, you know, Sergey, Sergey Brin and Larry Page of Google, um, mm -hmm. who, who I think took a long view, like they weren't investing like to increase their, their net worth necessarily, but because you know, almost, almost like, um, you know, social, um, activism. Um, but a lot of companies like need, you know, the, the investors want to get their money back and get out. So I'm wondering, like, what, what is what does the plant-based analog movement look like in terms of are is it like long-term visionary investors who understand, you know, who are not demanding instant profits? Is it you know more people coming in like you know typical VCs who are just you know trying to get some get their money back in three to five years? And how does that affect you know pricing and growth? Well, I, I think there, there's an interesting twist to, to what happened uh, in the, the plant-based meat industry, starting with Beyond Meat and, uh, uh, you know, with uh, Impossible Foods and a couple others out there, is uh, some of those early investors, certainly you can relate to who those early investors are because they're from the tech industry, right? And so this became food tech because it was really food science developing these products in the tech industry, there seems to be or has been for many years a lot of leeway when it comes to profitability, right? It's a long-term shot. It's like, hey, I know that they're not going to make money in two to three years, but I know in 10 years, if they continue to do what they're doing, they could be absolutely huge and change the world, right? And so I think that's what the vision was uh, from the very beginning when those, uh, when a lot of uh, high-profile tech investors jumped in and said, hey, we see the opportunity here because it, it, it reminds us a little bit of the tech industry when it was young, right? And we can jump in here and be a part of this growth. And at that time, the expectation was, I, I, I don't expect to see any profits anytime soon. Uh, we'll, let, we'll hang on this and we'll continue to invest into it. 
and allow the industry to grow and and find a way to make uh, uh, profits at some point in time. Well, I, I think we're there, Holly, that we're at that point now where the VCs and, and the investors have pulled back and said, wait a minute. You guys had have had some time now, you know, Beyond Meat's been in business for 11 years and, and impossible, close to the same amount of time. Um, Beyond Meat, as we know, are, is struggling. Uh, they haven't really made money, uh, and, and they lo- they've lost a lot of money along the way. Uh, Impossible's a, a, a private company. We don't actually know whether they're making money, but the fact that they brought in over $2 billion worth of investment makes you think that they probably haven't made money, and you wonder where they are today. We don't know. They haven't brought any money in recently, which is a good sign, because when you go out and get more, more money, that usually means you're not making run- money, right? You uh-huh. need it. So I think we're at that point now where investors are being very cautious. Um, they're they're making decisions to invest in uh, plant-based meat analogs and the plant-based industry based on innovation, based on opportunity of innovation in something that we may not have seen before that will elevate the industry in a way that's different than what we see today. So the, the, the average company... Uh, that just says, hey, I'm going to make a plant-based burger, isn't going to interest them anymore. It's been there. It's done that, right? They want somebody that says, I've got the most amazing steak that's plant-based that you've ever seen in your life, and let me show you how I'm doing it. And I've got technology that's going to be patented that nobody's done before. That's where the interest lies today. And uh, there are quite a few plant-based manufacturers today that are struggling because they're not able to go out and get additional Monday money to fund their business, to keep it afloat, uh, and continue to build their business so they can be profitable in the future. And well, the future uh, is, is challenging for those companies, I can tell you that. Yeah, well, there's a narrative that I've seen in the business press, you know, Wall Street Journal or Economist um, where it's the plant-based movement was, you know, was sort of a giddy bubble. And it turns out that the people, the people who are buying it are like the vegetarians and vegans. Like, so, you know, half a percent to one to maybe 3% of a, of a population. And now all, so now all of a sudden the bubble has burst, just like, you know, crypto or, or, you know, Silicon Valley in 2000, um, is like, so, so what you said was like the, the the new investors are looking for innovation. I would think they'd be looking at demand and like what you know. It does. There doesn't seem to be as much demand, or the demand was uh, was faddish, as opposed to yeah. growing. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting is uh, the, if you look at the numbers, the numbers are really flat for the last about year and a half. So uh, we really haven't been going down. We've just been flat. So the demand is there. Now, mm-hmm. I, I think, that, in my opinion, this is what happened. Yes, there, there, there was this big bubble, but the bubble consists of people that were trying this product that may not have gone back to buy it again. The ones that really enjoy eating these type of products are still eating it today. And I think that is verified by the fact that we haven't really dropped. We've just stayed flat. Uh, that, will, that will continue to trend back up. I think by the end of 2023, we're going to see a nice trend going forward. Uh, in this, uh, perhaps a high single digits and low double digits, and, and we'll settle in there as we continue to grow the industry going forward. It's not going to, it's not going to fall out, uh, like we've seen in the tech industry more than once where it completely dropped out. And then there was this tremendous rebuild, which rebuilt way over the top of where it was before. And then the dropout again. Uh, I don't, I don't foresee that happening at all. Uh, you know, people have to eat and, What's happening today, Howie, is um, the millennials, which are the biggest percentage of population or generational population that enjoys these type of products, are having children, right? And those children are being brought up with these type of products. So it's we don't have to educate anymore. It, the education mm-hmm. process is really taking place already. So as these uh, millennials grow up and, uh, you know, maybe the edge of the X gen and the millennials and the Z gen, they're growing up with this in their lives. They don't have to bring it into their lives. It's already in their lives. And we will see growth um, naturally and progressively over time. Uh, right now, just like most businesses, 
just like most industries, there's hills and valleys, and we're we're sitting a little bit in a valley right now. We're gonna we're gonna work our way back up. Gotcha. So is is there um, is the industry big enough in terms of clout that it could um, you know do damage to the farm bill? Because like, it it seems like if people had to pay what things actually cost, plant based would be in a completely different place. It would be you know considerably cheaper than than, than beef, um, you know, in parity with with pork or chicken. But there, are, as you mentioned at the beginning, there are these like structural unfairnesses, but they're based on, you know, on lobbying largely yeah. is like, is, is, is the plant-based industry trying to flex its muscle and discover a kind of power to, to change that dynamic? Yeah, good question, Howie. In fact, I was just co uh, contacted by a colleague of mine uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And, and she said to me, she says, Danny, uh, we're getting beat up. Uh, out there today, and uh, we really need to get uh, the manufacturers and the companies like yours together uh, to create, um, you know, one force going forward and and, and get a you know strong lobbyist in in uh, Washington to help us uh, battle uh, against these giant uh, international corporations and and uh, these giant lobbyists uh, who have tremendous amount millions and millions. Of dollars behind them in order to, to beat down what they see as a threat and uh, in some cases we truly are that threat um, and, and it's it's a challenge you know we, look I, I go back to uh, the, the launch of the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger uh, going on I think seven years now uh, this spring and as really the birth of the plant-based analog um, industry right and the focus of this industry to make products that are really uh, geared to uh, compete with animal-based pro proteins in the market. And knowing that, we are a very, very, very young industry. Yes, vegan and vegetarian products go back 50, 60, 70 years to the beginning of time, right? But this is different because the focus then wasn't to convert or wasn't to get meat eaters to meet eat these products because they were so similar to what they were used to eating and create comfort foods in that way. So this is really a different, uh, a different version of the industry. And knowing it's that young, um, we're, we're just kind of battling to find our position. And I, I that's not going to happen overnight. We've got years of battling in front of us and, and we will continue to, um, you know, make it work one way or the other. Uh, and we will continue to grow knowing that we can get better and better. Uh, but yes, being able to get all of us together is an important part of that. Gotcha. So I want to, I want to learn about, um, before the butcher and mainstream. So you, you were at beyond, um, you know, doing sales, seeing the thing grow. What made you say, I've got my own thing to do. Well, I, I guess a, a little bit of frustration. I, I mean, I, I there were only when I was there. Um, I, I think when I got hired, there weren't more than about twenty employees, and I was hired by uh, Ethan Brown, the, the founder and CEO, and uh, the co-founder at the time, who's who's no longer with the, with the company. Um, but they were the ones that hired me, and and uh, I, I thought at the time that I would have an opportunity um, to communicate and voice what I'm hearing out on the streets about uh, what people were interested in because there were only three salesmen at that time. And I was one of the three. So beyond was a very small company and uh, they were uh, in R and D developing all these different products. And, and the three of us were the only ones that were on the street really talking to the consumer, the retailer, the operator, the distributors uh, and, and trying to get a, a feel for what they were interested in seeing. Uh, unfortunately, I, I never had that opportunity really to talk about what I was hearing on the street because they were so focused on what they were doing. They weren't really interested in what we were doing or what we were hearing. They, they were obviously hmm. interested in what we were doing because they wanted us to sell it. Um, so I, I think so were they, were, they of, were looking for, they were looking for like sales rather than, market customer discovery conversations. 
Right, right. Like so, they were in love uh, with their product and they're going to you know, make them buy it as opposed to right, what do people right. really it, want. Yeah, and I was t I'm talking more about development. What what are we doing going forward? We've already got these products, but what are we doing going forward? Mm. And I, I, I would think it would be integral input to talk to the people that were deeply involved in selling these products to the people that were interested in them and what they might want to see. Uh, but that really wasn't the case. And certainly that's the prerogative of anybody that owns or runs a company. They they can do what they want to do. And uh, it was, a, I, I guess, a bit frustrating for me. So I thought, well, look, uh, if I can't be part of it, maybe I can do this myself. And and I, I had a pretty good idea what I thought the consumer was looking for at that time. And um, uh, I made a decision to go out on my own and, and, and get together a, a pretty pretty darn good group of, of people to help me uh, make it happen. And, um, you know, after five and a half years now, I, I think we've been pretty successful. Most startups don't make it that long. So we're doing good and we're actually profitable on top of it all. Oh, what's your secret? Uh, the secret is, is keeping the team very tight, uh, having um, a partnership with the, the company who is uh, co-producing our, our products for us. It's our sister company owned by the same group of investors. Uh, and so with that partnership, we're able to create synergies and I, I'm able to use some of their staff to help keep my staff costs down because they do it every single day. They're, they're a, 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 a burger company uh, that does really well. And um, I'm able to really use their office staff. I have my own staff there as well, but I use their office as well and it helps keep my costs down. Uh huh. And by burger company, you mean sort of traditional meat-based burgers? That's right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. But they, they've been interested for many years in the plant-based industry, and now they actually pack for other plant-based companies. So uh, they have a plant-based division. We fall under that division now. We're separate corporations. So uh, we are run separately, but we're under their division uh, uh, under the investor umbrella. And, um, you know, fortunate for, uh, for us, uh, they have uh, the team there to get the job done. Um, and I uh, enhance that team with our own team and it, and it works out really well for us. So they, what I like to say is we handle the front of the house, which is the sales and the marketing and the R and D uh, of our products. And they handle the back of the house. They handle the, the shipping, the receiving, the, you know, the, the, the products, uh, finished products, the ingredients um, and, mm -hmm. and all of that for us. So that that's, that's actually nice to get that off your back when you're moving forward and focusing just on what you really need to do, which is develop and, and uh, market and sell. Mm -hmm. Great. So I can see how you have a, a sort of a leanness structural advantage in, uh, in the production of the product. What was the advantage that you found in terms of listening to the customer do, you know, doing all the research and customer discovery and market insight that wasn't, you know, that was frustrating you that it wasn't being listened to at Beyond. What did you learn that enabled you to go out and like, you know, hit singles or doubles, if not home runs, you know, and, and make money? Well, uh, you know, the, the first thing I learned was they wanted more than just burgers and, and ground products. And um, so when we developed our first, uh, we came out with eight products initially uh, we, and flavored products, by the way, too. We came out with, um, uh, you know, the a ground product, which was like a ground beef. But we also came out with a chorizo and a, and a sausage, an Italian sausage ground, which was interesting back then. There wasn't a lot of that out there back then. But we also came out with chicken chunks, beef tips and pulled pork. And all of that was kind of unique uh, for the industry at that time. Um, so what we decided going forward was we were going to build families of products. So we did a family of plant-based patties. Uh, and so we have our regular beef-like patty and a, a chicken patty and a turkey patty and then our award-winning uh, breakfast sausage patty. Um, and then we went on to develop a family of plant-based grounds as well. And so we have five different grounds, different flavor profiles that are interesting to people. Uh, what I really learned was most people just don't want to do that. They, they don't want to, if it's, if it's already made, 
and they can just throw it in a pan and add, you know, a couple things to it. They're ready to go. It's a lot easier uh, than trying to take the base and build it up a certain way. So when we made our taco ground, people were like, well, wow, that's great because I would have to add taco seasoning and this and that. And every time I do it, it's a taste a little bit different. And um, but our taco ground tastes the same every single time and they know what to expect. Uh, and so th th that's kind of what I learned right early from the beginning and what we focused on moving forward. Mm. And have you found like, uh, you know, when you talk about like the chicken, you know, I've tasted a bunch of the stuff. They're, they're very different products. Like you don't confuse the one with the other. Did, was that like a whole new R&D cycle or are, are the products like in, in, in the back end, at the back of the house, are they similar enough? in terms of the technology and the tools used to produce them, that, that this is scalable or you're really like, you know, reinventing every single new product? Um, there are some variables that are similar. And, and then there's some uh, distinct differences on, on how you prepare these products. So, uh, yeah, look, that 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 all comes with the R&D and the development and, and the scale. Fortunately, I have somebody uh, that, that runs our R&D and, and production uh, team, and it, he is just fantastic. He's been with me from the very beginning, and he had uh, experience dealing with uh, analogs uh, like this prior to, to working for us. So uh, I was very fortunate to find somebody that was really aware of how to, how to make these type of products and, and how to develop them. Today for us, Howie, uh, it, it's a little bit different. Back then, uh, it was very lean. There weren't a lot of people that understood how to create these type of products. Today, it's I don't want to say it's commonplace, but uh, it's becoming more and more that way. And ingredient suppliers are helping on the R&D end. We have uh, three different uh, R&D partners that help us with the research and development of any product that we're making today. Part of the challenge is kind of what you were leading up to equipment just being able to have the right type of equipment to make a product and i can give you a real simple example we we just developed a a pepperoni um and we didn't have the equipment within our facility to make pepperoni uh and up until this point in time we have produced all of our own products we don't have a, a separate co-producer outside of our sister company making these products so we didn't have the equipment the equipment's fairly expensive uh, we were able to go to one of our R&D partners who has uh, a research uh, lab uh, in the Midwest, and my R&D team goes out there frequently to use their equipment to develop our products. And we get to work with their scientists as well, their food scientists, to help us mm -hmm. and give us direction uh, and, and help us make products that would have been difficult for us to do on our own. Yeah. Sounds like being a food scientist working with you could be kind of fun. Yeah, well, look, I, I, I wish I had that talent, to be honest with you. I, I don't. I, you know, I'm fortunate to have the right people making it. It's a lot of fun. I, I, you know, I get to try everything that comes out of the gate. Sometimes it's not that great. And sometimes it's absolutely incredible. So it, on my end, I'm the one trying. It's fun for me. But uh, I, I love it. I, I think it's, it's, it's really fun to watch. Uh, my team get in there and develop different things. Uh, and I think they like it too. Uh, you, you know, the versions that, you know, we can be anywhere from 12 to 14 to 30 to 40 and upwards. I, I mean, our pepperoni, I think we've got over 50 versions of that product uh, before we really figured out what we, how we wanted it done. So it, it's not that easy. Mm. <laughs> so where, where can people find your stuff now? Well, we're in uh, Whole Foods um, and we're in uh, sporadic different uh, places throughout the country, like on the East Coast. We're in Lytle. We're in the Central Market in the uh, in Texas area. Um, but uh, honestly, you could go into many different grocery stores and uh, get a, a plant based product, uh, you know, a pizza or a burrito. Uh, there, there's a decent chance that it may be our product in there. We work with a lot of uh, further producers, a lot of other manufacturers that make plant-based uh, items, uh, mostly uh -huh. for frozen, uh, sometimes for refrigerated, and they use our product as an ingredient. So we do okay. a lot of business like that. And uh -huh. uh, one other one, we uh, if, you, if you get a chance to go into uh, Target or into 
um, uh, Sprouts, uh, and uh, there's a bunch of grocery uh, chains across the East Coast as well. Uh, try Ming's Bings. Uh, celebrity chef Ming Tsai uh, makes Ming's Bings, which is like a, a pocket, a vegan pocket. And uh, he's got some really good ones. That's that's our uh, meat inside of there. So he's got a cheeseburger and uh, a sausage Ming's Bing, and he's got a, a Southwest with chorizo in it. They are fantastic. They are really good. And we are co-branded on that package. So if you look at the package, you'll see our name on there too. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. So what's uh, what's the future hold? If you could, uh, you know, both bo- sort of paint an optimistic, realistic picture of the next five years. What, where do you where do you want to be? Where do you want the movement to be? Well, you know, I, I want the movement to have steady growth. And I think that's what we're going to see. Like I said earlier, I think we're going to see anywhere between high uh, single digit and low double digit growth. Uh, pretty steady. Uh, moving forward after this year and going into 2024 and, and beyond that into uh, the next uh, three to five years. I think that's going to be where we kind of stabilize ourselves and get back to that growth period. We're going to see some new products hit the market. Uh, we have some exciting ones, uh, at, you know, that we're working on right now. Uh, some deli meats. Uh, we have uh, a fish stick that we're working on that is just really incredible. Uh, and of course, our pepperoni coming out, and uh, we're looking at a, a beef stick too, kind of like a Slim Jim. That is probably the best product that I've ever tried, and I'm really excited about uh, getting that one into manufacturing huh. and, and getting that one going. So, uh, we're we're looking to expand uh, in that way, uh, but we're also focusing on how we will remain profitable and continue to uh, grow our business sustainably. And a lot of that has to do with industrial or ingredient-based business, uh, like I spoke uh, about earlier, is working with some large manufacturers that are making plant-based products like pizzas or burritos or bowls. uh, Mm -hmm. And we would be the ingredient within that product. And we're pretty excited about that growth, too. Gotcha. That that brings up, you know, sort of a question about um, the company culture and you know, I don't know Ethan Brown. I've known you for 45 minutes now, and I, I just, I, you know, I get a, a sense of your your spirit and what you're what you're up to. There have been cases, you know, these news reports of some pretty grim employee experiences at some companies that I would think, you know, I I would want them to be better, whether it's Beyond or or things I've read about, you know, Amy's or things like that. Like, what? How do you think about growing? In a way that's you know that that satisfies the market, that satisfies investors, and that respects the people who are on the journey with you. Well, look, uh, every business is run um, most normally right by by the person who's in charge, whether it's the you know the the owner or the CEO, the president. Um, and I, I would always hope that there would be respect uh, from that person all the way down to, you know, the, the hourly worker that works hard to help make that business successful. Uh, we don't have control over that. The person on top usually does. And I think when you hear stories like that, it's disappointing to me. It's, it's not unique to our industry. It happens in all industries. And it's disappointing to hear that. I left. Uh, the company, uh, I left Beyond Meat, um, and I still see them as uh, the, the, the one that really broke open this huge door for many of us to walk in through, uh, the innovator, uh, the leader. Um, unfortunately, today, I, I, I don't see that they really are the innovator anymore. Uh, you know, they may still be one of the leaders out there, but I don't think they're the leader anymore. It's disappointing to see that. I, I, you know, I'm proud of the, the, the few years that I spent there. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for Beyond Meat. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Mm. So I'm, 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 I'm really proud of the time there, and I, I'm uh, really happy that I had an opportunity to, to move forward. And I can tell you what, um, I would be proud of anybody leaving my team to go out and doing something similar. And and mm. that, you know. That that I think is really important. Uh, we're, we're doing we're all t- trying to accomplish similar things, which is number one, grow a business; uh, number two, be profitable in that business; and number three, 
uh, you know, create a sustainable business that's good, not just for uh, our own personal health, but for the health of our planet. And because we're all on that same similar track, I would hope that we would do our best to take care of our employees and make sure that they were happy uh, the best that we can. You, you can't be perfect there. And I, I get that. So uh, knowing that, um, I, I've been very aware of, of the people that have worked uh, for and with me. And I always tried my best to make sure that they were getting what they needed to be happy uh, and grow with the company if that's what they chose to do. Gotcha. Beautiful. So tell us again the name of the company. How can people you know, find out about it online, you know, website, social media, mm -hmm. any, anything else so people can, uh, can continue their journey of discovery? Yeah. So um, before the butcher's name of the company, you can go to BTB Foods. Uh, like before the butcher, but btbfoods.com and find us online. And you can order all of our retail products online just right straight through our website. I know a lot of people like doing it. It's a lot easier than even going into the grocery store, right? Uh -huh. So, uh, and you, you and, ship and you with dry ice, right? Yeah. 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 We, we have a third party company that does it for us, but yeah, they, they get it out there and, and they do a really good job getting our products out to the customers. So we appreciate that, and we always look forward to growth on the e-commerce side, though it is challenging uh, with a perishable product trying to send it but because uh, it's expensive. But um, mm. it's worth it if you get it. All right. So btbfoods.com, folks can order from the full line online. It, and it, does, it did come with a block of dry ice, which just makes a great toy, as long as you wear yeah. gloves. <laughs> yeah, be careful. <laughs> And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, all the good uh, social media as well. All right. Great. Danny O'Malley of Before the Butcher, thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world and for taking the time today. Thank you, Howard. I appreciate the time. All right. That's a wrap. And plantyourself.com slash 551 for the show notes for today's episode. Let's see. Garden news and movement news are the same because it's time to start weeding, to start preparing the grounds and the beds for the work that's going to come and the planting that's going to happen. And so this morning spent an hour just uh, hoeing and weeding the path between the two halves of the garden beds. Um, filled up lots and lots of uh, of carts, lift the <laughs> hauled the carts that were kind of very heavy with wet earth, as well as the weeds down to the compost pile, hauled them in, came back. All in all, I covered about, I don't know, 30 square feet in about an hour. And it was pretty hard work. So a lot of bending, a lot of lifting, a lot of leg. It was a leg day, too, as I'm pounding my legs into the ground, trying to move this really heavy um, cart up up a, an incline filled with all that stuff. Good news is tons and tons of earthworms. So the soil is looking happy and healthy. All this rain we've been getting is uh, obviously making some critters very, very happy. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Rickney Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious Michelle, X. Elsbeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chali, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, 
Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends. 